Hey, you're listening to Blindsight. Let's go. Dental health isn't something to take lightly. It's time to fight. It's time to thrive. Let's do this. Hi there. Welcome to Blindsight, your podcast on mental health. I'm Bill Lundgren, your host. And Jonathan Price, our producer, is going to be on with me because we're going to be talking about dependency. We're going to be talking, trying to get some understanding of what we're talking about when people are getting into trouble with uh, alcohol or other drugs. And uh, hopefully this will be educational and interesting for you all. How are you, Jonathan? I'm pretty good, man. We were just talking, you know, off air before we got started about how long be or uh, blindsight has been on the air and this is 52 episodes or i mean we're just about yeah. 52 episodes a year in man yep congratulations ah uh, thanks and congratulations to you because I, you're an old hand at this and you're <laughs> doing doing this for aftersight and for the technology yeah, uh, and God knows what else you're. <laughs> well, I haven't run it into the ground yet, so I yeah, think we're okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's you were to what else like what's going on with you? Ah, uh, well, I'm uh, getting ready to take off for a long weekend in exciting Omaha, Nebraska. Nice. Okay. Uh, no, no reflection to those listeners who may be front, uh, in <laughs> Omaha, but I've never been there, and I'm uh, getting together with some friends who want to celebrate their mother's 75th oh, birthday, which I nice. think is nice. And you've got and, a birthday coming up, too. Yep, yep, 81 years. Dang, Can Bill, you, you old. believe it? Yeah, I'm an <laughs> old codger. <laughs> That's why I get grouchy sometimes. I'm allowed to. <laughs> I love I love the the old guy sense of humor. There's just nothing quite you know quite like it. Right, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, they're they're arguing in the legislature in uh, in Congress you know, whether some of the old folks need to be moved out, including the president, and somebody <laughs> younger comes in, and I say, I beg your pardon. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm sure in your mind you still feel like you're a spring chicken. I do. I mean, I don't. I'm not having the uh, uh, the problems that a lot of older people uh, talk about. You know, like I, you know, I have a young dog, and we go running instead of walking. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and I don't. You know, first thing in the morning, I feel like I'm 105. <laughs> When I get out of bed, I I feel like I'm 105. Are you kidding me? Oh, that's funny. Yeah, but I move forward and I do some stretching exercises, and and Aiden stays in bed until I have my first cup of coffee because he knows that it's no use for him to expend (laughs) any energy until I've had that first cup. (laughs) See, I've got to, I've got to beat my kids out of bed. I've got to get up at about five 30 so I can have some peace and quiet. And it takes me about 15 minutes to walk down the stairs because I have a ton of old football injuries. And you know, when it gets Uh, cold in the morning, you know, the knees hurt, the back hurts, the, 
you know, I, I feel like I should rewind country songs because I could get all that stuff back, you know. Right. And- <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, the, I, the thing the thing with me is that uh, once I get the cup of coffee, then there's no turning back. But, you know, he he gets me up at four in the morning. Oh, he sticks geez. his nose in my his cold nose in his face, and he wants me to rub his belly, and he wants me to, you know, kind of smooch a little bit, and then he'll let me get up and get my coffee. And oh, then, my Because goodness. he knows he'll be the beneficiary. Right. That. For sure. That's one yeah. way to do it, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So you were talking about dependency. What are we, yeah. what are we doing here? Well, I think it's important for us to to think about uh, our use of chemicals and whether it's alcohol, drugs, you know, we're constantly bombarded with a, with uh, ads about take this, take that, and we oh, yeah. also we also are encouraged by our friends through parties to socially use alcohol and we're yeah. uh and some of us are uh, are trying to get in, you know, trying for different reasons to change their mood, and yeah. they get into some illegal substances. And then, oh, yeah. And, and Colorado is the state that where marijuana is legal, yeah. and that presents a different set of, of, of problems. Right. And, you know, so, and we're conflicted about all this. And what yeah. is... What is too much? What is too little? And plus, we use the word addiction to include a lot of other things like uh, coffee, mm-hmm. like cigarettes, like uh, work. That's yeah. a big, big one. And 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 running. Yeah. You know, there are all kinds of things that we can get into that we may need to think about and regulate to assure our well-being. Yeah. So we have to start, I think, with talking about the words. One of the things in kind of thinking about this uh, session today, I uh, was looking through what is referred to as the uh, American Psychiatric Association uh Diagnostical and uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Mm, which okay. a new one comes out about every 15 years. Oh, okay. And that's the textbook, if you will, of labeling the diagnosis that the mental health diagnosis that you get. And one of the interesting things between the 14 and the fifth or the uh, uh, four DSM is called the DSM yeah. four and the DSM five is they called in four abuse and dependency and they made a distinction between the two okay now uh, we're calling it all addiction but what we're doing in terms of labeling it's mild moderate to severe right everything on a scale everything on a scale and we're just talking about one thing that is uh addictive disorder right and caffeine is happens to be on the list of things they think might be addictive, 
Oh, and I won't I would tell them otherwise. <laughs> well, see, I would agree with that, but I will uh, do it quietly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, as I sip my coffee right now. <laughs> right. Well, the, the thing is, uh, you know, everybody knows I'm much better after I've had my first cup of coffee, That's including right. my dog. That's right. But uh, they put it in a category that there's not enough known to establish whether that's addictive. Okay. But interestingly enough, gambling has been included yeah. as a behavioral uh, addiction. Right. And it's also a biological addiction, as I'll explain in yes. a minute. Yep. But it, the, uh, the gambling is, in fact, uh, established as a, an addictive disorder mm-hmm. along with the various drugs. But nothing else in the process addiction, you know, the kind running workaholism, uh, which really ought, I think ought to be in there, but they don't you know, have enough really? information to determine that that's an addi- addiction. They, they wait, hold on, pause. Yeah. They, they're saying, if, please tell me that I'm correct on this, they're saying that they don't classify alcoholism as an addiction? Oh, yeah, it is an addiction. Alcohol and other drugs is the way they establish it. Okay. Okay. So they're not saying so it can like, be can be an addiction because see right. here's okay. here's the thing that people need to think about. We're talking about a continuum, and this is what gets real confusing. When has my partner or I gone over the edge to right. from social to abusive to uh, 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 what we call mild, moderate, or severe. And that's when things get a little confusing for people because somebody who's who's addicted uh, can't imagine doing anything socially without drinking or using drugs. Yeah. And yet, uh, what I tell my clients, uh, you know, if you go on a, go to a party and make a decision in that party you're not going to use, I want you to look around the room as to what's happening. And I've had people who are in recovery, they go to their first party and they come back and they say, I didn't realize Mm. how bad I must have looked back in those days. Yeah. What an idiot, because I saw it all around me. And I think that's an important observation. Yeah. But, uh, again, because... And I, I focus a lot on alcohol because that's the most frequently used drug. Right. And it's socially acceptable, even more than marijuana. Yep. But we haven't really established, uh, you know, nationwide what's, uh, what's appropriate. Now, the uh, National Institute of Health says that social drinking is one drink for women, mm-hmm. two for men. Sure. And that's it. And, and, you know, whenever I let people know that, they look at me blankly and say, only two? Yeah. And, yes, uh, this is because when you start getting beyond that, you start to get into trouble. Yep, that's right. And that's when we, and, and we need to, it's the same thing for gambling. You know, okay, you go hit the slot, and you walk away. I remember uh, being uh, in one of the Caribbean islands, and I walked into the uh, 
casino. Yeah. And I started doing the slots. And my friends had to kind of, they saw my eyes glaze over. <laughs> and they had to yep. pick me up and walk yeah. me out of there before I got even farther into, you know, into this obsession. Right. And I'm glad they did because I've kind of stayed away from gambling, too. Uh, I'm not that wealthy <laughs> going to gambling, <laughs> that, that kind, anyway. But, and one of the things that's been interesting about gambling is we've done brain scans of someone who's a gambling addict who, for the purpose of scientific research, walks into a casino mm-hmm. with electrodes yeah. And we find that the brain shows the same activity in the same area as someone who's addicted to cocaine. Wow, yep. We have the, you know, we have the physiological evidence that we're talking about an addiction. That's incredible. And, you know, that's why, you know, the casinos are, you know, coming around and letting people know how to contact the Gamblers Anonymous or whatever, because they can't afford to have people uh, addicted. Financially, they can, but they know that it's going to be uh, a crackdown right. that, on casinos in that case. Well, that just blurs the line between greed and morality. Yeah. You know? I mean, exactly. that's, it's a very exactly. thin line. Um, yeah, it's a thin line. And, of course, it doesn't happen in any other area of life. No, but if you look at how casinos are set up, I mean, they're yeah. they're set up to be – there's no windows. There's no clocks. And all that's it's going on is you got alcohol and you have blinking and, and social, flashing lights. And they provide food so you don't right. have to leave the casino. And right. It's, it's truly a deep, dark smoking. pit. Right. That's one of the things I hated about Las Vegas. Uh, the oh, yeah. Time I went there, just so smoky. And I, I was a three-pack-a-day man. Yeah. And I gave that up a long time ago. So now I'm one of these uh, uh, self-righteous types who really oh, can't sure. be around cigarette smoking. <laughs> but, right. you know, it, it, it feels, it feels uh, very uncomfortable for me, not because I have a desire to smoke, but because my, you know, my uh, nasal tissues can't stand it. Right. But again, smoking is considered uh, addictive, and I don't think that should be any surprise to anybody. And I have friends who vape in order to deal with their yep. tobacco smoking, but uh, vaping has uh, has its problems too. Because it, while it doesn't doesn't have uh, a lot of the carcinogens of smoking, right? Vapor does have vaping does give you uh, nicotine, which mm-hmm. is addictive, and uh, some of the uh, toxic chemicals in the vape product. Mm-hmm. So you're not getting away scot free, but you know they people say okay yeah I, I can't get rid of the smoking so i've got to yeah. do something that that's a little more but that's how we deal with you know that gradation between uh mild moderate and uh abusive uh kinds of uh use of chemicals so how do we define the difference between dependency 
and addiction, it feels like to me that there's a it's a very blurry line, at least it when is. we talk when we talk about it in the sense that we're talking about. Like I could be addicted to you know, I'll just say coffee because my coffee's right here. But I could be addicted to coffee or whatever vice have you. Right. When does that addiction or when does that dependency become an addiction and an well, addiction see, and vice versa? This is what the uh, DSM-5 decided to do is to not use dependency. Really? Originally, there were two choices. Either you were an abuser or you were dependent. And that's why they combined the two together, because the abuser, you know, they have a quite, you know, a 11 point criteria. And if you met uh, only one of four, uh, then it was more the mild, moderate and but anything more than of their uh, uh, checklist, so to speak, uh, means that. You're in the addictive. They just make it addiction mm-hmm. or mild, moderate, or severe. Sure. And so we we can we can use the layperson can use dependency, but that's where it gets, as you say, very mm-hmm. fuzzy. Sure. I mean, how do how do I know that I've crossed over the line into addictive use of something like, say, alcohol? So you can, and that's a very fuzzy line. I will tell you that I recognized that I was in trouble with it when I had my first, had a blackout, mm-hmm. and that is uh, and that is a good symptom to use. And I didn't because you have a blackout. It doesn't mean you pass out. It just means right. that you're operating. But it's almost, if, if those who are listening remember the cassette recorder, it's like yeah. the cassette is running, but it's not recording anything that you're sent, that's going yeah. on. Yeah. And somebody was very kind and didn't realize he was doing it, but he explained, well, you were doing this at the, at the time and you seemed perfectly fine. Hmm. And I dropped my jaw and said... I don't remember any of that. Wow. And that's when I said, ah, okay, Lundgren, you've crossed over the line, and I haven't had a drink since. And that's about 35, 40 years ago. And that's amazing to hear. And I don't don't miss it at all. Now, maybe I was just dependent, and I had a blackout. Or or, or, uh, abusing and had a blackout. But I don't care. Right. I don't want to run the risk. Well, and I don't want to go too far into this direction, but I, when you talk about dependency and the addiction being kind of lumped in together, does that also affect, at least according to this journal, the emotional dependency from a psychological standpoint to things like work or to people? Or I don't want to go too far into the psychological important. Yeah, that's an important... Uh, important distinction to make. Now, I think you may be a lot, you know, maybe safe to say dependence on work, for example, or the things that are socially acceptable. But when you think about it, what one of the criteria for assessing addiction is when you stop a behavior 
or a use of a chemical, your body has a reaction. Right. And I know for me, uh, <laughs> you know, work workaholism. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I don't have anything that pressing, I find myself really reflecting and getting, I won't say physiologically nervous, but feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, I don't have some project to work on, or which is mm-hmm. going to be a, a pain in the butt as I get more and more into retirement. But yeah. uh, I'm always, you know, I I know what what helps my workaholism addiction is, uh, oh, I'm do- I can do a podcast about dependency. Mm. That'll help me. Sure. <laughs> but the point is, it's that's one of the criteria. If you're caught up in whatever you, you may be abusing, and again, I'm not using the psychiatric term, I'm using mm-hmm. the common term, you're abusing. And you're, if you think about the fact that your body is always trying to create homeostasis. Now, it's a technical term for saying the body always wants to find that line where it's comfortable. You know, in the beginning, in the spring, one of the hardest things for people to get used to is the fact that it's warmer. And then eventually Mm -hmm. your body comes to homeostasis uh, adjusting all the... uh, uh, I like to call the buttons in in our system, so that you become familiar with this thing called spring, warm. Yeah, uh, and then you tolerate the heat a lot more than we would if if we went directly from winter to summer, which we've done mm-hmm. here in Colorado at times. Yep. But you know, it's it's not quite if it's not that quick a shift. Our body had chance to adjust. Right. Well, the same thing is the body is always seeking a homeostasis, that is, an equilibrium. Mm. And when somebody puts, say, cocaine in their system, yeah. uh, the body says, oh, I don't have to produce the pleasure uh, symptoms. And in fact, if I start operating, it's going to be too much. So the body pulled back, the cocaine gets the uh, the body you know the takes uh, over the pleasure feeling revved up and then when the cocaine stops then the body says whoops uh, <laughs> you know what do we do the the body does takes a while before it comes to uh, start operating again and in fact that's a period that's very difficult from people with cocaine dependency uh, go into treatment or whatever, they mm-hmm. tend to report a period of depression. And that's because the body hasn't started revving itself up again to uh, provide an appropriate amount of pleasure. Right. They go through withdrawal. It, yeah, it goes into withdrawal, that depression withdrawal. They, and, you know, that can be true for any of the chemicals that you put into your body. And in many ways, when you think about it, uh, for running, work, or whatever, there's a certain amount of that. It's just not severe enough that you have to go into treatment for it. Though I know some people who really could use treatment for workaholism, but that oh yeah, the 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 thing is, 
that you may it may be good to uh, for the process uh, addiction to to go into treatment for the things that are behind the motivation that keeps you yes. working uh, insane hours insane under insane stress and you continue to do it and you feel bad when you don't do it mm-hmm and well, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna address the elephant in the room by saying, okay, all of this talk about the addiction slash um, dependency is all fantastic, but you, the core and the crux of the problems are not going to fix themselves just because you fix the addictive personality. I know for many, many people, they'll go from one addictive thing to another and trying to fill the same Good void with another. Right. So Absolutely. from from drugs to then they go from drugs to the alcohol. Usually those are combined, but then they'll go to things like gambling, like you were talking about, and then they'll go to working super hard and working great, or then, you know, not feeling good about themselves. So they work out really hard and they never go to the point of what is going on in my heart, in my mind, in my spirit that is causing me to work these crazy hours, to drink, to numb whatever pain is going on in my life. What? Th- that has to we, be the crux of what's yeah. going on behind it, right? And and that's when we that's why sometimes I like to use compulsion. We have this yeah. compulsion to uh, fill up our time, to fill up our you know sure. uh, our activity. And there's a certain pleasure that comes from that for for people. So they say, "Oh yeah, this is great. I can do this, and I'm not getting into trouble as I am with uh, alcohol or or other drugs." And I think it's important to understand that one that you know people make the decision to stop that there's going to be a reaction, there's going to be some depression, there might be some anger, uh, you know, there might be a little nasty about it. But the the thing is, to be for those around that person to be patient. Uh, to, you know, maybe not allow yourself to be abused by the person who's trying to recover. And that's where the 12-step programs can be very helpful for people mm-hmm. to have a chance to talk with other people who are going through the same thing and to uh, even come to the point of laughing about it. Laughing yeah. about you know their if you will their compulsions and looking back and 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 know that the other people in the room will understand you and you can get it out of your system. Sometimes uh, I encourage a client to go and you know he's feeling very angry. Go ahead and share it with the group because they will they'll understand what you're talking about and be able to mm-hmm. support you in that because. The recovery process can feel very alone. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Especially if so much of your life revolves around activities that includes a drug or alcohol or whatever, and you give that up, then you're not going to, and you're going to feel strange and you're going to feel like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. And that's where we get into relapse. Because yep. after a while, you can't stand it any longer unless you can feel like, oh, I feel good about as staying sober. Or, you know, one of the things they do in 12-step meetings is 
after 30 days, after 60 days, after 90 days, they'll give you a token. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a poker chip, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But it signifies the fact that you have uh, accumulated this much sobriety and that it's, and you need to be recognized because it's hard. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, particularly like marijuana, for example, it takes 30 days for marijuana to get out of your system. Yeah. So you may not feel it immediately, but if you're the one in five, this is the new number I'm, I'm seeing now, the one out of five uh, people become dependent. Now, they use the word dependent mm-hmm. uh, on marijuana. In other words, they have a reaction when they have stopped, and they're very uncomfortable sure. not smoking weed. Right. And so, and, and you know, it's, you, uh, do I dare mention something called sex and love addicts? Oh, yeah. Uh, do we talk? Absolutely. About, there, there are lots of things that we can be compulsively involved with that don't fit the DSM uh, right. criteria for addiction, but we call it addiction because it's a language that says, you know, we've got to stop this behavior, whatever it is. And it so, becomes Im- important. Do you think, I know this is kind of like a, a very heavy and dark question, but would it be safe to say that there's not a single person on this planet, regardless of their mental health capabilities, that is not addicted to something uh, well, the Dalai Lama, I don't think, is addicted to anything other than his trying to uh, move his people <laughs> forward. Sure. There's a tendency to be, and this is where I think the word compulsion can be a little bit better, and right. say we can tend to be excessive in our compulsion to do yes. X. Yes. You know, this is the American way. I'm not sure in other parts of the country, uh, parts of the world, that people are as as compulsive as we are in this country. You know, it's the American way. We've got to work hard and we've got to achieve and we've got to, you know, all this kind of stuff. So it's almost built into the American psyche. And that's what gets a little complicated in trying to say, okay, you can be doing that in certain areas, yeah. but uh, you've got to watch it in other areas, like like compulsive drinking or you know, whatever. And we also have, see, this is what I think is one of the beauties of the fact that we're beginning to get, as a nation, to talk a lot more about mindfulness. Yes. Meditation. Yeah. Uh, I I have my clients go on a, a mindful walk, which is really mm-hmm. basically as you walk along, along, pay attention to the your feet and yeah. what you're touching and what's around you and so forth. That's where you get into, uh, you know, peacefulness. You, I not, saw. A- I saw a graphic the other day that was a a cowboy who was walking next to a horse, and it said, uh, with a little bubble above the horse that said mindful, but then above the cowboy it said mindful, 
with a graphic of all the things that he was thinking about the the farm, yeah. the wife, the kids, the right, all that kind exactly. of stuff. There is a very we have to, big yeah. distinction. Well, you brought that's up right. something else that I want to touch on very quickly. I'm glad that when I asked the question if there was a, the possibility that everybody was addicted to something, you brought up the distinction of compulsion versus addiction, and I think that's where the mindfulness and the mindset of being an addict to whatever vice you have comes into play. Because if you have the mindset, like I'm going to, I'm just took a sip of my coffee, but if I were to say, okay, I could go have a compulsive, we'll just use that word compulsive drink with some friends tonight and be totally fine. But then if I go home and I'm in pain or I'm in emotional distress and I start adding to that and fueling that and using that as a numbing agent, I think the mindset has to be addressed and is very different. So I appreciate the fact that you brought up the distinction between the addiction and the compulsion. Yeah. What what would be compulsive drinking for you, you see? This is where we get into the fuzziness because, uh, as I said, the the social drinking standard, uh, which everybody turns white with, is two drinks for males, one drink for women because women smaller weight and so forth are affected more by alcohol. So they don't get away with... Uh, but I was recently with a woman I, I know who uh, says she never, you know, five five is, is too much for her. And, oh. you know, I kind of said, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's a few drops. Yeah, that's a few drops. I, you know, I uh, I know that uh, one would be, I just, I just don't want to try it, period. No, it's a slippery slope, especially yeah, if you're an exactly. addict to whatever it is. And that's what... That's what we have to be careful of. Yeah. It's a slippery slope. You may be, uh, you know, maybe once a year you go out with your friends and, you know, get blitz. But <laughs> as long as it stays with that one time and you don't get into trouble while you're under the influence. But it's the getting blitz and you drive why would home. You play with, or you, why would you, you play know, with fire like that? Exactly. Exactly. And this is why... Uh, yeah, social, you know, social drinking. For a while, we were saying that uh, a glass of wine uh, is, is good for you. And now I'm hearing people back away even from that. Yeah. And saying, okay, let's find other ways to relax ourselves. Because, you know, look at what we're trying to do. We're trying to relax. Well, doing some deep breathing mm-hmm. is, as far as I know, it's non addictive. But it also relaxes you, and just to be conscious of your breathing and conscious of of what you're doing and appreciating everything around you. I was talking to a friend yesterday who lives in the Cheeseman Park area, yeah. and he was telling me that he volunteers to garden in the in the uh, park. Take care of the roses and so forth. He said, I consider that my garden therapy. I said, right on, right on, because it is relaxing. It is getting close to nature. And in Colorado, there's no reason you have to go feel good 
uh, using drugs or alcohol when you can go into the mountains and oh, be yeah. with nature and to to walk and to meditate and to mm-hmm. just enjoy the moment and you know, try to get away from uh, the stresses because, you know, a lot of the problem is these not knowing how to deal with the stresses in our lives. Yeah. Boy, this conversation has been, I, I've loved it. There's so many different facets that we can go. But, Bill, yeah. what do you want people to take away from this conversation, especially if you're struggling with vision loss and you're using things like alcohol or drugs as your drug of choice to help kind of numb what you've been going through. Well, I think that what you're saying, if you're trying to numb yourself from your feelings, the the fact is, for a lot of people, what we're talking about, grief and loss. Yeah. When 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 you're now physically disabled, you might have trauma from the cause of your uh, vision loss, for example, the those the grief and loss has to be dealt with in a way different because if you get into the use of chemicals to numb the grief and loss, yeah. you're not going to do the work to resolve it for yourself. That's right. That's why. That's why it really can be helpful for people to go. And see someone, not for a long uh, psychoanalytic thing, five days a week. For, right, yeah. yeah. We're not talking yeah, about inpatient for, therapy. Yeah, just it, you can do short term and, and talk about grief and loss of your faculty, whatever whatever it is. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wonder sometimes if I should go and uh, uh, for my... Uh, growing old to go in and talk about I can't do the things I could do when I was 18 but as I look back on 18 I think I'm better off now than I was at 18 (laughs) but the point is you have you may have to go through a mourning process and alcohol does impede the mourning process or chemicals impede that process so look for other ways and also pay attention Particularly if you have people complaining about your use of chemicals, mm-hmm. that's a bad sign. Yes. If other people are saying, because a lot of people will just, uh, this is one of the problems with disabilities is a lot of people hesitate. They say, oh, if I were losing my eyesight, I would drink too. Oh, yeah. That's called enabling behavior. And yeah. if you, and that only adds fuel to the fire and, uh, prolongs the time you're getting into trouble. That's right. But if people are noticing, then I think that's when you have to say, okay, I have to do something about it and and be very concrete, usually to at least talk with a uh, uh, a professional yeah. about what's going on. And Definitely. the professional can, you know, can help you through it so mm-hmm. that you don't have to worry. So I think that I hope this has been helpful for people. I hope that people will, you know, people have some more questions that they'll let us know. They'll uh, uh, email us 
the question. We'll come back to this because this is a this is a very important subject. Yeah. When we talk about mental health. Yep. Yeah, we didn't and, even get to the other side of the dependency when you're talking about relational. So yeah, relational. We'll have to exactly. We'll have to do that as well. We we will. There's a lot of thing, uh, as we say, that we have to be real watchful of, and you know, for our mental health, we get it. We get addicted. We get uh, dependent on toxic people, mm-hmm. and oh, you know, man. we 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 pick exactly the wrong person, and we have to understand what that's all about, right? And so that we don't do it anymore. But all of these things are treatable. This is the thing about addiction, uh, dependency, whatever you want to call it. They're all treatable. Mm-hmm. We just have to make the decision to do something. Yeah. With the help, mindset. perhaps, of some other people kind of encouraging us. But we need to, we have to say, well, if I'm concerned about what I'm doing, whatever it is, then I need to check it out to see whether I want to continue to do that. Yes. I don't want to have to be concerned about what I'm doing. Bottom line. That's right. So this has been another episode of Blind Sight. I'm glad that you listened in. Glad to have a chance to interact with you, as always, Jonathan. You too, sir. And we'll uh, say goodbye for now. And encourage people to tune in uh, to Blindsight. And you can look on on the site, the podcast site, to find if you want to go back to some uh, episodes that you haven't seen before. Uh, by all means, celebrate. Uh, those of you who can drink, you can raise a glass of wine to say... Uh, Thank you, Blindside. And, Thank you, Blindside. Uh, and I will celebrate as well without getting into trouble. Bye.